is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. Do you feel that? That is Friday morning. Welcome to the Piney Woods. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Friday. The weekend is upon us. Um, it's supposed to be 40 degrees and raining this weekend here in Montana after uh, last weekend when it was almost 30 below zero. So we're looking at a 70 degree temperature difference between tomorrow and last Saturday. And I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, it's supposed to be in the high 20s today. And then tomorrow the temperature climbs and the rain comes in and uh, it's going to be a wet sloppy mess. But if it's above freezing and raining, my trip to Ovando to preach on Sunday will be that much more uh conducive to uh, um, Mrs. Squirrel's travel anxieties. Um, so we'll, we'll uh, appreciate that as we, uh, I'll be preaching in Ovando this weekend at Blackfoot Community Bible Church. We're in Ephesians. Uh, hope you can join us if you can. Look forward to seeing you. Um, look forward to seeing the, the regulars there. Um, it's a fun, fun Sunday every month. And I, I appreciate the opportunity to share the word with the saints there in Ovando. Well, this is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble. Podcast is available then for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to christianpodcastcommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are certain to find something worth listening to. And I don't know why I've got the 40s big band radio voice going today. From high atop the tallest tree in the piney woods. It's Squirrely Squirrel and his orchestra. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's Friday. I'm glad it's the weekend. And and only preaching once a month. I have way more time to prepare my messages than um, I've ever had in the history of my preaching ministry. And I uh, I do a lot of preliminary work and stuff, getting ready. But... There is a crystallization of a message that takes place the last couple of days before you preach, and it doesn't matter how long you've had to prepare. Even you know, since I've been doing itinerant preaching, even if I'm going to preach the same message that I may have preached six months ago at a different church, I'm going to spend Friday and Saturday going through it, rewriting portions, making sure it's all fresh in my mind, you know, checking myself. And same thing when I'm doing a, a, a new message like I'm doing this, this weekend. 
I'll, you know, I've been working on it for a month. Um, you know, my outline was set, you know, three weeks ago, but today and tomorrow I will be going through it and I will be, it's a crystallization thing that takes place. There is a, as, as Phil Johnson once said, there is a special relationship between a preacher and Saturdays. <laughs> and he's right. Um, it's just, it's a special time to, now not, you know, I'm not going to spend 30 hours today and tomorrow. You know, I'll spend maybe three, four hours on it today, maybe the same tomorrow. Just going through it, reviewing it, getting, you know, my phraseology right, tweaking this or that um, before I preach it Sunday morning. So, and, and I, I know I, I, I could not be one of these guys who gets a sermon done days or weeks in advance and then just picks it up on Sunday morning and goes. I, I, and, and I know there are people like that. I, I've seen people who can just stand up and preach and, you know, have, you know, the outline in the back of their Bible and they'll do the full 45, 50 minute sermon from just that outline or preach without notes. I, heavens forbid. Um, R.C. Sproul was big on preaching without notes. That's not something I can do. And I also know the guys who, you know, sit down Saturday night to write their sermon for Sunday morning, and that's not the way to do it either. <laughs> yeah, sermon, sermon preparation takes time. Um, but there is a, a fine honing that takes place the last couple of days before you preach. And I am in that this weekend. So what do we got coming up today? We have scripture reading from the Legacy Standard Bible. We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. And it's Friday, so it's Federalist Friday. We're looking at Federalist number 42 today. So still not quite halfway through the Federalist Papers, but we're getting there. All right. Let us begin, as is our practice, with the Prayer of Confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults, restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord, and grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life. To the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. Our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, 
forever and ever. Amen. Excuse me just a moment. I apologize. I hit the wrong button and did not mute my bike for that. Uh, <laughs> terribly sorry. Um, do excuse me. <laughs> this is live podcasting. Here you go. All right. It is uh, our reading today is Genesis 28 and Psalm 28. Genesis 28. So Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and commanded him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father. And from there, take, for your, take to yourself a wife from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become an assembly of peoples. May he also give you the blessings of Abraham to you and to your seed with you that you may possess the land of your sojournings, which God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Paddan Aram, to Laban, son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. And Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take for himself a wife from there, and that he blessed him, commanded him, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan and that Jacob had listened to his father and his mother and had gone to padded Aram. So Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan were displeasing in the sight of his father Isaac. And Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaoth, to be his wife, besides the wives that he had. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. Then he had a dream, and behold, a ladder stood on the earth with its top touching the heavens. And behold, the angels of God were descending or ascending and descending on it. And behold, Yahweh stood above it and said, I am Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your seed. And your seed will also be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not forsake you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely Yahweh is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How fearsome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. And he called the name of that place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will give me on this journey and will keep me on this journey on which I am going, and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and return to my father's house in peace, then Yahweh will be my God. Now this stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me I will surely give you a tenth. And now Psalm 28 of David. 
To you, O Yahweh, I call, my rock, do not be silent to me. Lest, if you are hesitant toward me, I will become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Do not drag me away from the, with the wicked and with workers of iniquity, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their actions. Give to them according to the deeds of their hands. Return their dealings upon them. Because they do not regard the works of Yahweh nor the deeds of his hands, he will tear them down and not build them up. Blessed be Yahweh, because he has heard the voice of my supplications. Yahweh is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. Therefore my heart exalts, and with my song I shall thank him. Yahweh is their strength, and he is a strong defense of salvation to his anointed. Save your people, and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd also, and carry them forever. This is the word of the Lord. And now our reading from Daily Readings in the Life of Christ by John MacArthur. Today's devotional is Wrong Judgment, an Erroneous View of Others. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Matthew 7, 2. Dr. MacArthur writes, Most people feel free to judge other people harshly because they erroneously think they are somehow superior. The Pharisees considered themselves exempt from judgment because they believed they perfectly measured up to the divine standards. The problem was that these weren't divine standards. They were merely human standards they had established far short of God's holy and perfect law. When we assume the role of final, omniscient judge, we imply that we are qualified to judge, that we know and understand all the facts, all the circumstances, and all the motives involved. Therefore, when we assert our right to judge, we will be judged by the same standard of knowledge and wisdom we claim is ours. If we set ourselves up as judge over others, we cannot plead ignorance of the law in reference to ourselves when God judges us. We are especially guilty if we do not practice what we ourselves teach and preach. Other people are not under us, and to think so is to have the wrong view of them. To be gossipy, critical, and judgmental is to live under the false illusion that those whom we so judge are somehow inferior to us. This kind of judgment is a boomerang that will come back on the one who judges. Self-righteous judgment becomes its own gallows, just as the gallows Haman erected to execute the innocent Mordecai was used instead to hang Haman. Esther 7.10 Ask yourself, one of the more notable qualities of our sinful human nature is that the sins we seem quickest to judge in others are the ones we struggle the hardest with ourselves. Why do you think this is the case? What brings about this touchy sensitivity and indignance? Oh, Dr. MacArthur's getting into meddling, isn't he? All right. It is Friday, so it is Federalist Friday as we continue to work our way through the Federalist Papers. Preparatory to going through the Constitution and uh, 
and looking at it in light of what we have learned, um, our little Friday civics project is here. Um, so we are looking today at Federalist number 42, the powers conferred by the Constitution further considered. So this is a continuation directly of last week's Federalist. From the New York Packet, Tuesday, January 22nd, 1788, author James Madison. To the people of the state of New York, the second class of powers lodged in the general government consists of those which regulate the intercourse with foreign nations, to wit, to make treaties, to send and receive ambassadors, other public ministers and consuls, to define and punish piracies and felonies committed on the high seas and offenses against the law of nations, to regulate foreign commerce, including a power to prohibit, after the year 1808, the importation of slaves, and to lay an intermediate duty of $10 per head as a discouragement to such importations. Let me stop right there. Yeah. The, the, the framers of the Constitution fully expected slavery to be outlawed, and they put a heavy duty on the import of slaves. $10 was a lot in 1788 to discourage the importation of slaves. So, you know, think about that when you hear people talk about how America was based on slavery. We inherited chattel slavery from our British forebears. It was part of the British Empire. Um, now, give the British Empire kudos. They abolished it before we did. But yet, it came from that. And when the Constitution was framed... The framers put in place mechanism to abolish slavery and a fine, an import duty, which was heavy. $10 per head was a lot back then. I know it barely buys you a hamburger now, but it was a lot of money back then. And so, you know, this was you know a, an intermediate duty of $10 per head as a discouragement to such importations. Um, it was the desire of the framers of the Constitution to abolish slavery, um, with a few notable exceptions. Um, obviously, if, if, if it had been unanimous to abolish slavery, they would have just done it. But there was enough resistance from slaveholding states that this was the compromise. Yeah, that will give you, you know, 30 years from 1788 to 1808, 30 years. And then Congress will have the authority to abolish slavery and this importation, importation tax that was placed on the importation of slaves to discourage. Now, another thing, think about this, taxing something discourages it always been true. If you want more of something, you subsidize it. If you want less of something, you tax it. Um, and so that is, it's one of the reasons why uh, churches are tax-free. So that the government has no ability to discourage the practice of a religion. All right, continuing. 
This class of powers forms an obvious and essential branch of the federal administration. If we are to be one nation in any respect, it clearly ought to be in respect to other nations. The powers to make treaties and to send and receive ambassadors speak their own propriety. Both of them are, comp are comprised in the Articles of Confederation, with this difference only, that the former is disembarrassed by the plan of the Convention of an exception under which treaties might be substantially frustrated by regulations of the states, and that a power of appointing and receiving other public ministers and consuls is expressly and very properly added to the former provision concerning ambassadors. The term ambassador, if taken strictly, as seems to be required by the second of the Articles of the Confederation, comprehends the highest grade only of public ministers and excludes the grades which the United States will be most likely to prefer where foreign embassies may be necessary. And under no latitude of construction will the term comprehend consuls. Yet it has been found expedient and has been the practice of Congress to employ the inferior grades of public ministers and to send and receive consuls. It is true that where treaties of commerce stipulate for the mutual appointment of consuls whose functions are connected with commerce, the admission of foreign consuls may fall within the power of making commercial treaties and that where no such treaties exist, the mission of American consuls into foreign countries may perhaps be covered under the authority given by the Ninth Article of the Confederation to appoint all such civil officers as may be necessary for managing the general affairs of the United States. But the admission of consuls into the United States, where no previous treaty has stipulated it, seems to have been nowhere provided for. A supply of the admission is one of the lesser instances in which the Convention have improved on the model before them. But the most minute provisions became important when they tend to obviate the necessity or the pretext for gradual and unobserved usurpations of power. A list of the cases in which Congress have been betrayed or forced by the defect defects of the Confederation into violation of their chartered authorities would not a little surprise of those who pay no attention to the subject and would be no inconsiderable argument in favor of the new Constitution, which seems to have provided no less studious for the lesser than the more obvious and striking defects of the old. The power to divine and punish piracies and felonies committed on the high seas and offenses against the laws of nations belongs with equal propriety to the general government and is, still great, and is a still greater improvement on the Articles of Confederation. These articles contain no provision for the case of offenses against the law of nations and consequently leave it to the power of any indiscreet member to embroil the confederacy with foreign nations. The provision of the federal articles on the subject of piracy and felonies extends no further than to the establishment of courts for the trial of these offenses. The definition of piracies might perhaps, without incon inconveniency, be left to the law of nations, though a legislative definition of them is found in most municipal codes. A definition of felonies on the high seas is evidently requisite. Felony is a term of loose signification, 
even in the common law of England, and of various import in the statute of law of that kingdom. But neither the common nor statute law of that or any other nation ought to be a standard for the proceedings of this, unless previously made its own by legislative adoption. The meaning of the term, as defined in the codes of the several states, would be as impracticable as the former would be a dishonorable and illegitimate guide. It is not precisely the same in any two of the states, and varies in each with every revision of its criminal laws. For the sake of certainty and uniformity, therefore, the power of defining felonies in this case was in every respect necessary and proper. The regulation of foreign commerce, having fallen within several views which have been taken of this subject, has been too fully discussed to need additional proofs here of its being properly submitted to the federal administration. It were doubtless to be wished that the power of prohibi prohibiting the importation of slaves had not been postponed until the year 1808, or rather that it had been suffered to have immediate operation. But it is not difficult to account either for this restriction on the general government, or for the manner in which the whole clause is expressed. It ought to be considered as a great point gained in favor of humanity that a period of 20 years may terminate forever within, the, within these states, a traffic which has so long and so loudly upbraided the barbarism of modern policy. And it is 20 years. My math was, was off. 1888 to, or 1788 to 1808 is 20 years. So. That within that period, it will receive a considerable discouragement from the federal government and may be totally abolished by a concurrence of the few states which continue the unnatural traffic. Listen to how they're talking about slavery. In the prohibitory example, which has been given by so great a majority of the Union, happy would it be for the unfortunate Africans if an equal prospect lay before them of being redeemed from the oppressions of their European brothers, brethren. Attempts have been made to pervert this clause into an objection against the Constitution by representing it on one side as a criminal toleration of an illicit practice and on another as calculated to prevent voluntary and beneficial immigrations from Europe to America. I mention these misconstructions not with a view to give them an answer, for they deserve none, but as specimens of the manner and spirit in which they have thought fit to conduct their opposition to the proposed government. The powers included in the third class are those which provide for the harmony and proper intercourse among the states. Under this head might be included the particular restraints imposed on the authority of the states and certain powers of the judicial department. But the former are reserved for a distinct class and the latter will be particularly examined when we arrive at the structure and organization of the government. I shall confine myself to a cursory review of the remaining powers comprehended under this third description, to wit, to regulate commerce among the several states and the Indian tribes, to coin money, regulate the value thereof, and of foreign coin, to provide for the punishment of counterfeiting the current coin and securities of the United States, to fix the standard of weights and measures, to establish a uniform rule of naturalization, 
and uniform laws of bankruptcy, to prescribe the manner in which the public acts, records, and judicial proceedings of each state shall be proved, and the effect they shall have on other states, and to establish post offices, post roads. The defect of power in the, consist in the existing confederacy to regulate the commerce between its several members is in the number of those who have been clearly pointed out by the experience. To the proofs and remarks which former papers have brought into view on this subject, it may be added that without this supplemental provision, the great and essential power of regulating foreign commerce would have been incomplete and ineffectual. A very material object of this power was the relief of the states which import and export through other states from the improper contributions levied on them by the latter. Were these at liberty to regulate the trade between state and state, it must be foreseen that ways would be found out to load the articles of import and export during the passage through their jurisdiction, with duties which would fall on the makers of the latter and the consumers of the former. We may be assured by past experience that such a practice would be introduced by future contrivances, and both by that and a common knowledge of human affairs, that it would nourish unceasing animosities and not improbably terminate in serious interruptions of the public tranquility. To those who do not view the question through the medium of passion or of interest, the desire of the commercial states to collect in any form an indirect revenue from their uncommercial neighbors must appear not less impolitic than it is unfair, since it would stimulate the injured party by resentment as well as interest to resort to less convenient channels for their foreign trade. But the mild voice of reason pleading the cause of an enlarged and permanent interest is but too often drowned before public bodies as well as individuals by the clamors of an impatient avidity for immediate and immoderate gain. The necessity of a superintending authority over the reciprocal trade of the confederated states has been illustrated by other examples as well as our own. In Switzerland, where the union is so very slight, each canton is obliged to allow to merchandise a passage through its jurisdiction into other cantons, without an augmentation of the tolls. In Germany, it is a law of the empire that the princes and states shall not lay tolls or customs on bridges, rivers, or passages without the consent of the emperor and the diet, through, though it appears from a quotation, excuse me, though it appears from a quotation in an antecedent paper that the practice in this, as in many other instances in that confederacy, has not followed the law. And has been produced there, and has produced there, the mischiefs which have been foreseen here. Among the restraints imposed by the Union of the Netherlands on its members, one is that they shall not establish imposts disadvantageous, disadvantageous to their neighbors, without the general permission. The regulation of commerce with the Indian tribes is very properly unfettered from two limitations in the Articles of Confederation, which render, render the provision obscure and contradictory. The power, is there to the power is there restrained to Indians, not members of any of the states, and is not to violate or infringe the legislative right of any state within its own limits. 
What description of Indians are to be deemed members of a state is not yet settled and has been a question of frequent perplexity and contention in the federal councils, and how the trade with Indians, though not members of a state, yet residing within its legislative jurisdiction, can be regulated by an external authority without so far intruding on the internal rights of legislation is absolutely incomprehensible. This is not the only case in which the Articles of Confederation have inconsiderately endeavored to accomplish impossibilities to reconcile a partial sovereignty in the Union with complete sovereignty in the states, to subvert a mathematical axiom by taking away a part and letting the whole remain. All that need be remarked on Excuse me. All that need to be remarked on on the power to coin money, regulate the value thereof, and a foreign coin is that by providing for this last case, the Constitution has supplied a material omission in the Articles of Confederation. The authority of the existing Congress is restrained to the regulation of coins struck by their own authority or that of the respective states. It must be seen at once that the proposed uniformity in the value of the current coin might be destroyed by subjecting that of foreign coin to the different regulations of the different states. The punishment of counterfeiting the public securities, as well as the current coin, is submitted, of course, to that authority, which is to secure the value of both. The regulation of weights and measures is transferred from the Articles of Confederation and is founded on like considerations with the preceding power of regulating coin. The dissimilarity in the rules of naturalization has long been remarked as a fault in our system and as laying a foundation for intricate and delicate questions. In the fourth article of the Confederation, it is declared that the free inhabitants of each of these states, paupers, vagabonds, and fugitives from justice accepted, shall be entitled to all privileges and immunities of free citizens in the several states, and the people of each state shall in every other, enjoying all the privileges of trade and commerce, etc. So paupers, vagabonds, and fugitives were excluded. There is a confusion of language here which is remarkable. Why the term free inhabitants is used as one part of the article, free citizens in another, and people in another, or what was meant by superadding to all the privileges and immunities of free citizens. All the privileges of trade and commerce cannot easily be determined. It seems to be a construction scarcely avoidable, however, that those who come under the denomination of free inhabitants of a state, although not citizens of such a state, are entitled in every other state to all the privileges of free citizens of the latter. That is, to greater privileges than they may be entitled to in their own state so that it may be in the power of a particular state, or rather every state, is laid under a necessity not only to confer the rights of citizenship in other states upon any whom it may admit to such rights within itself, but upon any whom it may allow to become inhabitants within its jurisdiction. But were an exposition of the term inhabitants to be admitted, which would, be, which would confine the stipulated privileges to citizens alone, the difficulty is diminished only, not removed. The more improper power would still be retained by each state of naturalizing aliens in every other state. In one state, residence for a short term confirms all the rights of citizenship. In another, 
qualifications of greater importance were required. An alien, therefore, legally incapacitated for certain rights in the latter, may, by previous residence only in the former, elude his incapacity. And thus the law of one state be preposterously rendered paramount to the law of another, within the jurisdiction of the other. We owe it to mere causality that very serious embarrassments on this subject have been hitherto escaped. Oh, mere casualty, excuse me. We owe it to mere casualty that very serious embarrassments on this subject have been hitherto escaped. By the laws of several states, certain descriptions of aliens who had rendered themselves obnoxious were laid under interdicts inconsistent not only with the rights of citizenship, but with the privilege of residence. What would have been the consequence if such persons, by residence or otherwise, had acquired the character of citizens under the laws of another state, and then asserted their rights as such, both to residence and citizenship, within the state prescribing them? Whatever the legal consequences might have been, other consequences would probably have resulted of too serious a nature not to be provided against. The new Constitution has accordingly, with great propriety, made provisions against them and all others proceeding from the defect of the Confederation on this head by authorizing the general government to establish a uniform rule of naturalization throughout the United States. The power of establishing uniform laws of bankruptcy is so intimately connected with the regulation of commerce and will prevent so many frauds where the parties or their property may lie or be removed into different states that the expediency of it seems not likely to be drawn into question. The power of prescribing by general laws, the manner in which the public acts, records, and judicial proceedings of each state shall be proved, and the effect they shall have in other states, is an evident and valuable improvement on the clause related to this subject in the Articles of Confederation. The meaning of the latter is extremely indeterminate and can be of little importance under any interpretation which it will bear. The power here established may be rendered a very convenient instrument of justice and be particularly beneficial on the borders of contiguous states where the effects liable to justice may be suddenly and secretly translated in any stage of the process within a foreign jurisdiction. The power of establishing post roads must, in every view, be a harmless power and may perhaps, by judicious management, become productive of great public conveniency. Nothing which tends to facilitate the intercourse between the states can be deemed unworthy of the public care. Publius. Now the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Al- excuse me, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Collect for the Second Sunday of Epiphany.
Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, is the light of the world, grant that your people, illumined by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you in the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Colic for Endurance. Almighty God, whose most dear Son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain, and entered not into glory before he was crucified, mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace, through Jesus Christ your Son, our Lord. Amen. And for the unrepentant we pray. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son, you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home, and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for this Friday. Once again, I'm preaching in Ovando this Sunday. You need to be in church. Whether you visit us in Ovando or whether you attend your own local church, you need to be there. It's for you. It's for the people of the church. Um, it's for your relationship with God. It's in obedience to God's commands. You need to be a part of a local church. And so go to church on Sunday. I urge you with all seriousness and, and, and great gravity, go to church. You need to be in church. All right, folks, have a great weekend. Do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here on Monday for another episode of Scroll Chatter. Don't skip church on Sunday. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.